Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. Tonight, what we're going to do is we're starting a series on the Ten Commandments. Um, and I... I just want, and it's going to last for the majority of the semester, um, and it's going to set the tone for the rest of the semester, and um, I just want to start, before we jump into any, anything about the Ten Commandments, what do you know about the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, what, do you, what do you think is their purpose? Who do you think they're for? And what do you think they're all about? Non-rhetorical. Anyone? Right, come on, take commandments. Uh, it's how to give any uh, stepping stones or a guide to the nation of Israel. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. So they're given to Israel. Where were they given to Israel? Come on. Mount Sinai. In the book of? They're also found in the book of? Good job, that was harder. Um, so what else do you know about the Ten Commandments? Come on, you know things. What are they for, right? They're guidelines for, for Israel. What else are they for? Yeah, set them apart from the other nations, right? They were given these rules. No one else was. And we're going to get to that. That matters. Someone else? Was the fire story like separate from the Um, That is a possibility probably wrong. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> but, but what we're going to do is we'll, we'll get this in a minute. That's, that, that's okay. It's all your fault. We're going to engage these myths about the Ten Commandments tonight. Can you repeat what he said? Uh, that the first three are separate from the others. Uh, so people like to break away the first three because they seem to be about God and the last... Uh, the last six seem to be about our relationships with other humans, but it's really inappropriate. I think it's wrong to divorce those two things, right? Our relationship with other humans and our relationship with God are two, are one and the same, right? They're, they're, one, they're different sides of the same coin, so we shouldn't divorce them, and we shouldn't, the two tablets, right? So it's two tablets, right? And we shouldn't see them as different, right? Like the first three are on one tablet and the second three, or the second, you know, seven are on the other tablet. Is that what y'all were correcting me? It was my math, my poor math. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. You know, you're the ones who notice every little mistake I make. It's these two right here. And, um, and uh, yeah, we're just deeply appreciative. And, yeah, so three and seven, right? And so uh, it's not appropriate to, to divorce those things. Actually, what the tablets are is one tablet was for God and one tablet was for them. They both had all the Ten Commandments on. Is it showing the people who their God is? Yes. Yes, Ben. You are cheating because we talked earlier today. And anyone else? A couple more things about the Ten Commandments. Uh, yeah, so it's like confusing. It seems like God does, but like Moses is a part of it, and it actually kind of gets into like what is script? What does it mean that scriptures God breathed? It it gets a little messy. So yeah, that's that. What? One more. Come on. What do we know about the Ten Commandments? What? Yeah, I mean he gets mad, right? Uh, all right. So I'm I'm really excited about this series, um, and, and I think we're going to learn about a lot about God in this series, as Ben pointed to, and a lot about the beautiful life for which he, intend, he intends for us, right? But here's the thing. I think we all come to the Ten Commandments with, with our own preconceived notions, and, and frankly, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, probably a little bit of baggage, right? It's a lot of thou shalt nots for us to not come with a little bit of baggage to it. And so tonight, before we start going through each of the Ten Commandments one by one, which we're going to start doing next week, 
I think what we need to do is we need to dispel and confront some myths that surround the Ten Commandments. And here's the ones that I want us to engage tonight. They kind of come in couplets, right? The first is, and these are kind of opposing spectrums, they're either like we tend to think that the Ten Commandments are just for everyone or that they're like just for Old Testament Israel, right? And the New Testament kind of nullifies them. The second set are um, that the Ten Commandments are only about individuals and they're only about humans, right? They tell me what I'm supposed to do and that's, that's it. And the third set that we're going to take on is that arbitrary, uh, that the Ten Commandments are arbitrary. What I mean by that is that they're just random or that they're restrictive of freedom. Basically, that God just kind of dropped these things out of the sky to make our lives a little bit more difficult, right? And that's how we kind of perceive them. And all these are myths, I think, that surround the Ten Commandments that we need to dispel and confront before we're able to engage with them in a way that is going to shape and form us into who God intends for us to be as his kingdom of priests and those who bear his name and those who bear his image as human beings. And so I'm really excited about this series. I'm really excited about tonight and where God is going to take us the rest of the semester. Hear the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 to 39. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, and chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds, and as you have said, and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the east was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading trials wrapped in clothing, the Israelites' journey from Ramses to Succoth. They were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them and also drove of large livestock, both flocks and herds. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an, for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That's not on there. That's my fault. All right. That's my bad. Uh, as you can tell, there are some kinks I'm still working out as I get back into the swing of the semester. Yeah, I think I'll turn this off. Am I on now? Yeah. All right. As you can tell, even just from that, there are some kinks I'm still working out as I get back into the swing of the semester, and I apologize. And also, I'm going to completely blame Chili's for throwing me into a tizzy for getting the food to me about 25 minutes later than they told me they would, even though it was quite tasty. Um, all right, we're gonna start, uh, we're just gonna ask three sets of questions about the Ten Commandments tonight, and, and, and in so doing, we're gonna just, just hopefully confront and dispel some of the myths that we were talking about earlier, all right? So here's the first question. Who are they for, right? Who are the Ten Commandments for? In other words, if we're gonna be more specific, do the Ten Commandments apply to me and to you, right? So here's the two, here, here are the two myths I think that we really need to confront as we try to answer this question. The first is that the Ten Commandments are equally applied to everyone, right? That's one of the two mistakes that we make. The other is that we think the Ten Commandments are made obsolete by the New Testament, right? So we either disregard context completely and we act like these commandments just dropped out of the sky from God and God said, all of humanity act this way. Or the only thing we focus on is the Ten Commandments context. And we say, those were given to Old Testament Israel, they're supposed to stay with Old Testament Israel, and the New Testament just says, boom, you're done with them. All right? So they either matter across the board, or to us, they don't matter at all. And both of those are wrong. And, and, and one of the things I think is, is a fairly common misconception um, in American Christianity is this, and that, that is that the Old Testament is at best kind of like nullified or like by the New Testament, like it was good for its time, but like we've moved on, right? It's old for a reason, it's antiquated, and we've moved on. That's like kind of, I think, what we think best of the Old Testament. And at worst, we think that the Old Testament talks about a God who is completely different from the New Testament God. Both of these things are completely contrary to the teachings of the New Testament. Right? And I think we all know this. I want to take you to a place in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're looking on in your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. And Jesus said, oh, sorry, verse 17. And Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. So what Jesus is saying here is that Israel was supposed to live up to the Ten Commandments, right? God did give Israel the Ten Commandments, right? Or the law and the prophets that are summed up in the Ten Commandments. But Israel failed at this task and identity that they were given, to be God's chosen people who would be a kingdom of priests out to nations. And Jesus says, I've come to fulfill that role. I am the true Israel. Right? And then, watch how he frames this sermon back in chapter 7. In Matthew 7, verse 12, he says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets, right? So Jesus says, Israel's failed, but I'm the true Israel. I'm going to come, and I'm going to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then what does he do? He passes that task along to us, to me, and to you. He passes it along to the church, right? Why are there 12 disciples? What does that represent? The 12 tribes, right? 
And if you think about uh, commissioning, it's the Great Commission. You have the 11 because of Judas. But still, they're the 12 in, in, in kind, of, um, um, kind of the imagery sense um, or the figurative sense. And he, he gives the, the, the church their task by giving it to these 12. Right? And it's the mission that Israel was always supposed to fulfill, to be a blessing to all nations, as it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And so what we see here is that the, the law that summed up, the Old Testament law that summed up in the Ten Commandments is still for us today, right? It still applies to us today. It still matters for us today. We still need to concern ourselves with it. However, God did not just drop these Ten Commandments out of the sky, right? He gave them to Israel. He gave them at a particular time, in a particular place, to a particular people, and with a particular purpose. Yahweh begins, Yahweh begins the Ten Commandments like this. I am the Lord, your God, who brought, and if we were better to better translate this and honestly put a southern accent on it, I brought y'all out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Y'all shall have no other gods before me. And you constantly see this. It's not do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not do this. It's you shall not. Y'all shall not. Y'all shall not. He's giving it to a particular people. And that particular people is then becomes Jesus. And if you think about it like an hourglass, right, it's, it's all of Israel, and it funnels into Jesus, and Jesus funnels it back out into the church. That's who the Ten Commandments are for. And so who are the Ten Commandments for? Well, if we bear the name of Christ, if we consider ourselves part of Christ's church, then the Ten Commandments are for me and for you. And so we better not think they're obsolete, and we better not think they're nullified, and we better not think that's, for the, that's outdated and that's antiquated, and it doesn't matter to me anymore. They matter to me and you. Or at least they should, right? And so when we see this, right, and the mistake here is that we just kind of apply them across the board. And one of the ways I think we see this is, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, um, in, you read in a news article, and this happened in Alabama actually quite recently, where there's a monument to the Ten Commandments that, we, that, like, that people are trying to get into the state capitol or keep in a state capitol. And people get really upset about that. And I'm just going to be honest with you. When that happens, I think Christians are missing the point. Because there's no nation that inherits the role that Israel was supposed to play. The only group of people that get to bear the mantle that Israel bared to be the people of God, to be the people who represent God to the world, is the church. So we miss the point that we get caught up in culture wars because the Ten Commandments are not about our culture wars. They're about our countercultural way of life that God intends us to live as those who bear his name in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Stanley Harawas, who's a great Christian ethicist, puts it this way. The commandments are not guidelines for humanity in general, right? They're not just for everybody. They are a countercultural way of life for those who know, I love this, who they are and whose they are. Their function is not to keep American culture, and you can replace any other country with that, running smoothly, but rather to produce a people who are in our daily lives a sign and a signal and a witness that God has not left the world to its own devices, right? To use some more of Jesus' imagery from the Sermon on the Mount, he calls the people of God salt and light. He says, you are salt and you are light. And when Jesus says that, he doesn't, like, we shouldn't think to ourselves that we are going out into our already lit world or our already salty world. But rather that we, as those who bear the name of Christ and those who bear the name of Yahweh, 
that we will go out and be light in a dark world, a world that doesn't live by the Ten Commandments, a, uh, that doesn't live under the law of God. We should be salt in an unsalty world, a world that doesn't live in the reign of grace and the kingdom of God. We've missed the point if we got caught up in culture wars when it comes to the Ten Commandments. The second question that I think we need to ask, right? So the Ten Commandments are so relevant for us today, and not just relevant for to us today as a whole, but particularly relevant for me and for you because we claim to bear the name of Christ. If you're in this room and you do, like, they really matter for us. And the second question I think that we need to ask is, well, okay, they may be for us, but what are they about, right? And the mistaken thing that we make here is that the Ten Commandments are about me. They're for us, but they aren't about me. Right? They, we think, I think, that, you know, kind of we think about the Ten Commandments. They're kind of like a checklist that I have to live up to, right? And they're kind of, they're rules for me, and they're, and they're about my actions. But I want you to hear this. The Ten Commandments are not about rules and me. The Ten Commandments are about God and his people. The Ten Commandments are not rules, are not about rules and me. They're about God and his people. They're about a relationship. The Ten Commandments are about relationship, and the rules serve the relationship, not the other way around. God gives the Ten Commandments as a covenant, something that binds two parties together. The rules serve the relationship, not the other way around. So back in the olden days of the Old Testament, there was a very common practice for a large country, think of Egypt, or a large nation such as Egypt, to make a treaty with like a group of smaller tribes. And in that treaty, what they would do is they would kind of make those group of groups of tribes one party or one entity. They would become a nation. Like they would be formed into a nation by making a treaty that these groups of tribes would become a nation by making a treaty with this larger nation, okay? And that's what's actually happening here with the Ten Commandments. Because Exodus tells us in chapter 12, verse 38, that the Israelites escaped Egyptian captivity with a mixed multitude, right? So there were the Israelites, as was read for us, but there were also a lot of other people that came along with them. And what God did was he made them one people through giving them these rules. And there's two really important things that I think we need to note here. The first is that the Ten Commandments are not rules that I need to live up to as an individual, but they are a covenant that creates a community, right? We approach the Ten Commandments, we as the RFC, we approach the Ten Commandments as a mixed multitude of people. We're from different places in the state, and the region, and the country, and even, frankly, the globe. And we come together, and we're bound together by a covenant that God makes with us, and a certain way of life that God pays for us. Now, on the other hand, the other side of this coin, the Ten Commandments, I think, are also a sign that there's no such thing as the Christian life lived alone. It's said of our generation, I'm a millennial, y'all are mostly Gen Z, that we're spiritual but not religious. Or a phrase that people like to use, that we like Jesus but not the church. We really value our autonomy. And so we kind of, you know, often take on this attitude, well, I don't, you know, it's just me and Jesus. You know, I'm just going to do my Bible study, and I'm going to jump around from place to place. I'm just going to do the different Bible studies that feed me, and I'm not, you know, I'm just going to kind of, you know, it's just me and Jesus at the end of the day. And that's not the picture that scriptures paint for us. 
It's harder to live inside of a Christian community. That's why we have to have rules like do not steal and do not covet and don't commit adultery and don't um, bear false witness, a.k.a. don't gossip. It's harder to live this whole thing out in community. But what I think Scripture tells us, I think the truth that we all kind of know deep down is that it, it's worth it if we do. The second thing that I think we need to note here is that all of Scripture, all of Scripture, hear this, including the Ten Commandments, and I will even say the Ten Commandments especially, and this is what Ben was pointing to earlier, are first and foremost about God, not about me and what I'm supposed to do. Scripture is divine revelation. God revealing himself to the world and specifically to his people. And so when we approach the Ten Commandments, we approach it in the reality that they are a, a relationship-creating document. That they create a relationship between God and his people. And they reveal first not the question or they, they kind of bring forth the, not the question, what am I supposed to do or what standard do I need to be, be living up to? But the question they first bring up is, what does this tell me about Yahweh? What does this tell me about God? What does this reveal to me about God? Yet again, Stanley Hauerwas, I mean, I'm not going to quote him out throughout this whole series, but he is really helpful as we kind of get our bearing of the Ten Commandments. He puts it this way. He says, before the Ten Commandments are about us, they're about God. Right? These aren't standards that we need to live up to. They, or they are in some way, but first and foremost, these are about who God is. He's revealing something about his character to us. We know one another through speech, right? You, you, we talked over there. We got to know each other better by eating together and talking, right? We know the one true living God because this God has refused to say aloof, refused to stay aloof and unconcerned and tactful. What he means by that is just, just kind of up in the sky, right? He refused to do that. Our God could have stayed on Mount Sinai. He could have hidden in the clouds, silent. But instead, our relentlessly self-revealing, loquacious, all he means by that is overly wordy, God has spoken ten words to us and is thereby known to us. Before these words, behind each and every one of them is a God. The sort of God who tolerates no rivals like Pharaoh. A God who does not leave us alone to stumble aimlessly in the wilderness, but graciously gives us the law for our good always, that God might preserve us alive. And so if you're in this room and you, you kind of picture yourself as being on the fringe of the Christian faith, or maybe you're not a Christian, you, you don't bear the name of Christ, that's fine, I'm glad you're here. And you find yourself in that situation, you find yourself new to Christianity, or if you're just someone who wants to learn more about God, I want to tell you right now that this series on the Ten Commandments is for you. Because as we look at these ten words from God, we're going to watch God reveal himself to his people. And the God, and the God in whom he reveals himself to be is a beautiful and compelling God to follow. All right, third question. Hopefully you're convinced that the Ten Commandments are for us and for us particularly in this room. Hopefully you have a better feel for what they're about. Right? They're, they're going to reveal about who God is to us. And they're all about relationship. They're not standards for me to live up to necessarily. They're, they're rules. The, the, the rules uh, serve the relationship. Right? But the final question I think we have to ask is what is their purpose? Right? What do these things really do in our lives? What do they make out of us? What do they do? And here I think we have to dispel the myth that the Ten Commandments' purpose 
or there, there is no purpose beyond the uh, purpose of the Ten Commandments beyond restricting our freedom. All right. That, that God, you know, th these are just kind of some random rules that God, you know, just dropped out of the sky because he's some sort of killjoy. I think one of the reasons we, we often think about the, the Ten Commandments as, as obsolete or outdated or unhelpful or antiquated is because we divorce them from the context. And we act as if God, you know, just really just kind of wanted to rain on our parade and said, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Hey, do this, by the way. And I think that's particularly hard for us because the idea of restrictions, the idea of restrictions um, is seeing restrictions as a positive, I think it's particularly hard for our society, right? We live in a society that is termed by many as Western individualism, right? Where the individual is greater than the whole and that personal autonomy is valued more than anything else. Now, I think this is even more difficult for you because of the stage of life that you're in as a college student. Now, hear me when I say this. I'm not saying that college students aren't busy. I think you're actually quite busy. But in college, you live in a time in which you, more than any other time in your life, get to choose what you busy yourselves with. In all other phases of life, before college and after college, someone else is deciding for you what place that you spend. Before you get to college, it's your parents. And after you graduate from college, it's your boss. They say, spin these plates, and you better spin them, or something bad's going to happen, right? You're not going to be able to survive. But in college, you get to decide, for the most part, and more than any other time in your life, so value it and cherish it, what you actually busy yourself with. And I think that shapes you as a person. I think that makes you really hesitant towards restraints. I know it did for me. I mean, just for example, you know, um, as a campus minister, um, people come to me for dating advice, and because um, you know you tend to meet people in college, and, and it's a really stupid thing. You can ask me about why that's a really stupid thing to come ask me for dating advice, uh, and some other people could probably tell you about it. Um, it does involve me uh, sending Facebook messages to Mary Beth uh, after not talking to her in person at very large events, uh, which I talk to everybody else in the room. Um, but. Um, and yeah, I mean, really, it's, it's pretty amazing. And um, just how stupid I am. But um, they do, one of the biggest things, when people are starting to get to the point, or they're like, maybe like, I can see myself marrying this person. The first thing that I've noticed is this pattern has arisen. And the first hesitancy they have is this. Yeah, they could change, the, they could change my plans. Like, I might not be able to do what I wanted to do because I married them. I'm like, no dip. That's what it's about. Marriage isn't easy. Right? Like, Mary Beth's been drugged all over the freaking country because she married me. You're really hesitant towards restraints during this phase of your life. And it's understandable. But I think we're really, really mistaken in our thinking, when we think freedom, when we think freedom is about not having any restraints. Because actual freedom, true freedom, I think is best defined by having not no restraints, but by having the right ones. And I want to take you, this is really one of my favorite illustrations. It comes from, from a preacher and author named Tim Keller. 
and, and just, just hear it out, right? Modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any constraints, right? But think of a fish. Because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air, it is only free if it's restricted by water. If a fish is freed from the river and put on the grass to explore, its freedom to move, and soon even to live is, well, destroyed. The fish is not freer, but less free. It cannot honor the reality of its nature. The, the same is true with airplanes and birds, right? If they violate the laws of aerodynamics, they will crash into the ground. But if they follow them, they will ascend, and they will soar. The same is true in many areas of life. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, those that fit with the realities of our own nature and those of the world. And that, hear me, that is what these Ten Commandments, these ten words from God are all about. They are guidelines to help us live into our original identity that God gave us in the beginning, to be those who bear his image and bear his name. See, the Ten Commandments come in Exodus 20. Right after God liberates a people from being enslaved, he gives them what? Not their, well, you're free from slaves now, here's your personal autonomy, go do whatever you want. No, he gives them these ten commandments, these ten words that reveal who he is to them so that they may live in the path that he laid out for them before the world began. He didn't give them the Ten Commandments to limit their freedom, but so that they could find freedom and the restrictions that fit the realities of their nature and those of this world. So that Israel now, Israel and us now, could live into the identity that God gave us in the beginning, and hear this, has repeatedly come back to, right? God has not given up on his good plans and purposes for us that he laid out in Genesis 1. For us to be the people that reflect him out into the world. Right before the Ten Commandments, I think it was Carolina, Carolina Kyle read this for us. I'm just going to end with this passage. I'm just going to read it over us. But this is what the Ten Commandments are all about right here. Okay, It's that we can do this. And this, what we're about to read here, this is what's going to give us that feeling of freedom. That feeling of just rightness, right? If you have nostalgia about a certain time and place, it's probably, I think it's the spirit working in you, pointing you to, to this, which is God's identity that he gave you from the very beginning and that he's not given up on giving us. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourself have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself, right? These are about relationship, not individual standards that I have to live up to. And how I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, right? These are the Ten Commandments. Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, right? Even though I am the king of the entirety of the universe and I created it all, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You get to represent me out into the world. And that's what the Ten Commandments are all about, to be a people who bear God's name and reflect him out to, to for us, campus.